Thank you, Dr. Jones. Definitely, the power is back on. The power of PowerPoint, and more important, the power of the Holy Spirit, we hope. Welcome to chapel. I hope your morning here is a good start. Uh, we're now in the season of Easter. All talk about Lent is behind us. I want to ask you to stand and read with us here uh, on this portion from St. John Chrysostom, Pascal's homily. You will read on the bold with Rick. Let all partake of the feast of faith. Let all receive the riches of goodness. Let no one lament their poverty, for the universal kingdom has been revealed. Let no one mourn their transgressions, for pardon has done from the grave. Let no one fear death, for the Savior's death has set us free. He that was taken by death has annihilated it. He descended into Hades and took Hades captive. He embittered it when he tasted his flesh. And anticipating this, Isaiah exclaimed, Hades was embittered when it encountered thee in the lower regions. It was embittered. For it was abolished. It was embittered. For it was mocked. It was embittered. For it was purged. It was embittered. For it was despoiled. It was embittered. For it was bound in chains. It took a body and came upon God. It took earth and encountered heaven. O death, where is thy sting? O Hades, where is thy victory? Christ is risen. And you are overthrown. Christ is risen. And the demons are fallen. Christ is risen. And the angels rejoice. Christ is risen. And life reigns. Christ is risen. And not one dead remains in a tomb. Let's see. Our homily this morning will be brought by Dr. David Live Jeffrey, distinguished professor of literature and humanities in the honor program since 2000, and guest professor at Peking University in Beijing since 1986. Dr. Jeffrey is also honorary professor at the University of International Business and Economics in Beijing, Beijing, China, since 2005. Dr. Jeffrey graduated from Wheaton College and received his PhD from Princeton in 1968. Among the, on the honors he most values include being made inaugural professor of the year in arts and humanities at the University of Ottawa in 1995. He also holds an election to the Royal Society of Canada and also has been chosen for the Lifetime Achievement Award at the Conference on Christianity and Literature in 2003. Dr. Jeffrey teaches courses on medieval literature, the Bible as literature, medieval exegesis, biblical hermeneutics, and literary theory. He also teaches on the biblical tradition and the arts, art and biblical theology, literature and philosophy and aesthetics. Please welcome Dr. David Light Jeffrey. There have been rumors. Rumors and counter-rumors. Some folks believe one thing, some folks believe another. There were others who were deeply cynical and they suspected foul play. 
but the two people on the road to Emmaus that morning after the three-day period of Passover were conflicted. They were perplexed. They could not decide. They could not come to a consensus agreement on all of these possible readings of the events that had gone before. They were debating them between themselves. The only thing that they really had consensus on, perhaps, was that people had gone and checked and there was nobody in the tomb. In this unique narrative, which is found only in Luke's Gospel, right at the end of the Gospel story, we hear a powerful account of how people respond to things which simply are beyond their ken, which, for which they have no categories, we might say. Let us hear the words of the gospel. Now behold, two of them were traveling that same day to a village called Emmaus, which was seven miles from Jerusalem. And they talked together of all these things which had happened. So it was, while they conversed and reasoned, that Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were restrained so that they did not know him. And he said to them, What kind of conversation is this that you have with one another as you walk and are so sad? Then the one whose name was Cleopas answered and said to him, Are you the only stranger in Jerusalem, and have you not known the things which happened there in these days? And he said to them, What things? So they said to him, the things concerning Jesus of Nazareth, who, who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how the chief priests and our rulers delivered him to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we were hoping that it was he who was going to redeem Israel. Indeed, besides all this, today is the third day since these things happened. Yes, and certain women of our company who arrived at the tomb early astonished us. When they did not find his body, they came saying that they had also seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. And certain of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said. But him they did not see. Then he said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. Ought not the Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Then they drew near to the village where they were going, and he indicated that he would have gone on farther. But they constrained him, saying, Abide with us, for it is toward evening. And the day is far spent. And he went in to stay with them. <clears throat> now it came to pass as he sat at table with them that he took bread, blessed and broke it and gave it to them. Then their eyes were opened and they knew him. And he vanished from their sight. And they said to one another, Did not our heart burn within us while he talked with us on the road and while he opened the scriptures to us? So they rose up that very hour and returned to Jerusalem and found the eleven and those who were with them gathered together, saying, The Lord is risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. 
And they told about the things that had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of bread. It's not difficult if we just take a moment to reflect on it to imagine what it must have been like to come back from Jerusalem with so many disappointments just as these people did. They were coming back from a Paschal festival in which there were high expectations and high hopes because only a week before Jesus had been riding into the city of Jerusalem in expectation of something momentous that would change for Israel's future. Now all of those hopes were dashed. And they're discussing these things intensely, the text says, between them. The Greek word here, here is omelean, from which we get the English word homily. It's an intense kind of discussion, very closely attentive to all details. And as they're absorbed in this conversation, somebody is walking nearby. They're often, passage, often passers-by on the roads. People walked. They walked great distances in those days. This somebody is in the peripheral vision, perhaps, of our two uh, disciples, this two of the 70 who are found walking on the way, and, and, uh, and they don't recognize this person. There's tremendous dramatic irony in the passage. This is characteristic of Luke's gospel. The reader knows, but they don't. That's a big theme in Luke. The issue here is not sight. It's not what you see, but it's rather recognition. All the way through Luke's gospel, people are, are seeing Jesus. They're hearing him teach. They're hearing him uh, have a conversation with people who are critical or who suspect or who have judgments. They've gotten an impression of him of some sort. They recognize that he has even the kind of authority, as Luke's gospel says, he has authority as a teacher, not like their professors. And so people have an idea, they have a theory, they have a view of who he is. But very few people recognize Jesus for who he is. Jesus speaks in response to them, he says, <clears throat> what kinds of words, oilogoi, are you exchanging? Are you batting back and forth? The Greek word here is antibalete. It's like when you're having a fierce debate and you're exchanging views rapidly. What kind of words are you batting back and forth as you walk? And then Jesus adds these words so sadly. He notices in a much more acute way than these two gentlemen themselves. He's noticed a lot. And Cleopas then, then asks a question that has a certain edge to it. You can sense his impatience in the formulation here. Are you the only stranger in Jerusalem who doesn't know what has been going on these last three days? What irony. Imagine asking the person who knows more about what's been going on for the last three days than any soul alive that question. And so the dramatic irony deepens. It becomes more profound. And Jesus is not going to respond in a kind of snippy way or a critical way, but he asks instead a question which indicates his desire to probe a little more gently, a little more deeply into their grief. And Jesus says to them, what things? And they blurt out the facts, lots of facts, but they're guarding 
their hope. They're not saying everything that they might think about who Jesus is. They're saying, we were hoping, besides, it's now the third day, we were hoping he might redeem Israel. It's now three days and it's past. That hope is died. And then they began more rapidly to speak. Certain women went to the tomb. They had an optasia. They had a vision. They saw angels. But there was no body. Him they did not see. After they have blurted out all the facts, after they have said everything that they have to say about their pent-up grief and tremendous confusion and, and disconsolate reflection, Jesus says to them, O foolish ones, O foolish ones, slow to believe. The, the word for fool here in Greek is really interesting. It's not like that harsh word for fool that you have back in Luke chapter 12 for the rich man who's built new barns and has some chock-a-plock with material possessions and is so self-satisfied when Jesus says, O fool, this very night your soul shall be required of you. That's a, that's a different, that's a harsh word. It's aphron. Here it's a, it's a kind of word that you use if you're a teacher. It's like when your teacher says to you, oh, you sweet dummies, how could you not have gotten this by now? It's gentle. It's reaching out to them. It's chastening very, very softly. And then he says, is not this exactly what the Christ was to endure? What the Christos, the anointed one of the Lord, the Messiah, was to endure? Is this not exactly what the scriptures have foretold and then it tells us that he expounded all the scriptures concerning the Messiah from the beginning, from Moses and the prophets down through the text to this moment. And finally, after this seven miles long seminar, the trio are getting near where the two of them live. And, and Jesus, seeing that they have arrived near home, makes as if, the text says, that's a better translation actually, he makes as if he is going to go on further to another destination. Here's a moment for reflection here. Consider if that they had not, despite their grief, uh, if they had not stopped and paused and thought, what is it to us to fail to be hospitable? We need to be hospitable. If they weren't hospitable, if they didn't invite him in, this story would not probably even be in the text. And so he comes in and he sits down, and it's just custom in the Near East. Uh, when someone has been a teacher, somebody has contributed something to you in conversation, and you invite him in as a guest, that person may be asked to give the blessing over the meal. And so Jesus takes the bread in his hands, as is the Jewish custom, and he prays the prayer which all people who have been in a Jewish context will recognize. Baruch atah Adonai Eloheinu melech haolam. Hamotzelachem min haaretz. And he breaks the bread. And at that moment, bingo, they leap back. Caravaggio's painting shows us the shock that they feel as they recognize him in the breaking of the bread. Blessed are you, O Lord God, King of the universe, who brings forth bread from the earth. But as readers of Luke, as hearers of the gospel when it's read, we cannot but help think of the many layers that are in this text for us. Blessed be you, 
Lord God, King of the universe, who brings forth the bread of life from the earth after three days. And then he vanishes from their sight. It's an astonishing moment. Their eyes are open. They have recognized Jesus. They have recognized that he has been there with them all along, and they haven't been paying enough attention to him. I think there are several lessons in this passage that we can take away with us this octave of Easter, this Easter week, and here are a couple of them. It's all too easy for us to be caught up in our own intense reasoning and debates. We do this about many things, not just theology, but we do it about theology too. It's easy to be overcome in our lives when traumatic events happen to us and they absorb us completely and we too feel confused or disconsolate or in grief. But it's a much better thing to let ourselves be reminded, be taught of all that God has done for us in the history of our salvation, that great story into which we fit. The great teacher of the Apostle Paul, Gamaliel, as a phrase also in Hebrew, which is a good admonishment for us, a good thing to think about. Gamaliel said, Yafa Talmud Torah Gashre Himadrech Eretz. What a beautiful thing it is to study the scriptures and how blessed to have it in the midst of the path of our everyday life. Whenever we have the opportunity to hear the word, to have the word be read or to read it, we are then prepared by that reading and by that entering into our story to be hospitable. Better able fully to be present for the breaking of the bread in whatever form that occurs. When you look at this last painting by the French painter Arcabas, you see the intensity of the conversation still going on, but it's possible in the midst of that intensity not to notice the one who is present. Wherever two or three of you are gathered in my name, there am I in the midst of them. That's what Jesus says, and that clearly is what he means. It strikes me that when we read this and we think about these two disciples, it's very easy to put ourselves in their place. They reasoned, they debated, they tried on different theories, they had different ways of accounting for what happened. And reason is necessary for establishing the truth of things, at least part of the truth that's accessible to reason. But notice here that reason was insufficient for a full recognition of who Jesus is. And there's a kind of gloss we can put to this text in Luke uh, from Luke's friend Paul. Paul who in writing to the Corinthians, uh, 2 Corinthians 5, 8 says this, we walk by faith and not by sight. There are some things that come to recognition for us, not simply with the light of reason, as necessary as reason is. It also requires that faith, that faith in the one who reveals himself to us in his holy word and in the breaking of the bread. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are glad to be able to be in a place where it's possible to read your word. It's 
We are grateful to be in a place where it's possible to worship you in, in freedom and in a spirit of truth. And we pray this day that you will bind these words to our hearts, that we may be, uh, through the whole of our lives, not just this day, but in every day, willing to be fellow travelers with Jesus, but recognizing, recognizing and being instructed. And so we thank you, Father, that all of these things are possible to us because he lives, because you have raised him from the dead. For this we give you thanks in his holy name. Amen.